TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host... Welcome back to the program. Mom Zev Brenner. It's always a pleasure, always a treat to have Alicia Weasel with us, his son of the legendary Elia Marion Weasel, and he's a personality in his own right, and he's just written a fascinating article in the Washington Post regarding the fact that his father's image was unveiled in Stonework at the U.S. National Cathedral. Thank you for joining us. Zev, my friend, always good to be with you, and it was more than article. Actually, this was, uh, it came from a speech that I gave Tuesday night uh, at the unveiling at the National Cathedral down in D.C. Uh, it was uh, quite an event. We had some great dignitaries, Madeleine Albright, uh, videoed in to share some comments with Rabbi David Saperstein uh, representing on one of the panel uh, and many other good friends. So tell us about what exactly what it was, what took place. And I know it was unusual because they did something to the stone to keep something in Jewish tradition, even though it was a church. So tell us about it. It was a bit of a halachic mess, right? You know, it's because uh, it was a know, church. Definitely, uh-huh. well, it was. It's it's a church, and also, you know, the whole idea of a statue of my dad. Like, there were a lot of things that gave me some concerns. But really, what it came from is, you know, the dean at the National Cathedral. He's been there for a few years now. His name is Randy Hollerith. He's just such a man. He's an amazing guy. And when they had one more piece of stonework to honor someone with, with iconography, you know, an American hero, somebody who had a a real footprint in human rights. It's called the Hall of Human Rights Porch. That's right at the entrance to the church. He had no doubt that the person he wanted to commemorate was my father. And so wasn't was it in the church itself? Was outside the church? No, it's it's in the church. So when you go into the church through the main entrance, there's like a little foyer area. There's actually several little foyer areas that you can walk through, and one of them has you know four human rights um, sculptures into the stonework. There's Rosa Parks, there's Mother Teresa, and there's Jonathan Daniels, uh, and there's my father. So what went through your mind? Because I'm sure the question has come up, and you write about it. It's written up in your speech that was quoted in the Washington Post. What would your father have thought of being carved into a church? Look, I'm sure he would have made a joke. First of all, my father had a wicked sense of humor, and I think it would have been you know, disbelief followed by, like, are you sure they're talking about me? You know, he would have uh, had something very funny and charming to say, I'm sure. Uh, look, I think if the idea had been brought up while he was still living, I suspect it would have been a no. Um, this is one of those things I think that can really only happen posthumously. Because I remember an incident where your father was asked to write an article to be in Playboy magazine. And I remember a quote from your father saying, he, the son of Hasidim, which Hasidic group uh, he mentioned, he said it doesn't pass, it doesn't fit him to be between Miss April and Miss May. So I'm just wondering what his reaction would be to be <laughs> carved into a church. You thought, but you said you thought if you'd be alive, he probably would not be happy with it, or would he? He'd, he'd have resisted it. But look, I think that, you know, it would have been a complex topic because there are many reasons to do it. And ultimately, this is why my family felt it was worth supporting. Uh, you know, my father also believed in having significant dialogue um, with the Christian community. He, uh, you know, there's a, a book published with some of his extensive dialogue from Cardinal O'Connor. Uh, he had great friends within the church in modern times, and he very much respected some of the big steps that had been taken towards 
uh, you know, more interfaith discussion and, and openness like the Nostra Aetate. So I think my father was, you know, he was an American, and we have to remember that this is also an American institution. It's meant to be a multi-faith institution. So the thought that, you know, he can provoke questions, I think, ultimately is, is what really carries the day here. And my father always loved questions more than answers. And how can you walk into the church, see a prominent Jew placed, one we know is an observant Jew, um, and not have questions? And if it provokes questions among the curious, then that's a good thing. Certainly. it's. Uh, I, I was just thinking out loud as you were speaking. Uh, about you know this whole situation, you know, there, in America, yeah, there is great relationship between the church and the Jewish community. Rabbi Moshe Sherer, blessed memory, who was the leader of Good Is of America, used to have breakfast meetings with Cardinal O'Connor on a regular basis. I had that verified by Cardinal O'Connor, who, by the way, they discovered after he died, he really was Jewish. So he was really a Jewish cardinal in New sure. York. But there might be there. I think there is a distinction, though, and, and I'm sure you grapple with. And, and I'd like to get the feedback that you got between having a dialogue and a meaningful one and an important one, and also being carved into a church. I'm wondering what the reaction was, let's say, from the Jewish community that you were involved with. Listen, you know, I, I didn't want to, you know, have any doubts. I, I went and I got some opinions from some more Orthodox rabbis that I knew, and I got some from others that were a bit more forward leaning. And, and no surprise, you know. Those who are more uh, orthodox said, no, you can't do this. Like, this is a real halakhic problem. Please don't invite me. It'll put me into a very difficult situation. Uh, there were those who feel that, you know, because of uh, opinions rendered by the Meiri and others, that, you know, we are now at a point where we can think of, um, you know, the Christian community not as, uh, as being somewhere where there's avodah zara. There's, it's a very complex topic. But ultimately, you know, the real feedback that, you know, I've seen surface has more to do with the fact that I put the focus on Israel in my conversation and less with the halakhic components, less with the religious or theological components. But but I was intrigued by the fact that they, they took it because it's a graven image that they chipped off a piece of it so it shouldn't be complete. I wasn't we, were, we, were, we requested that. We requested that if there were any way they could add a blemish uh, and they were, they were happy to. You know, the conversation we had. Um, and by the way, you have to understand just what nice, well-intentioned people these are. I mean, really just amazing people. And they said, look, you know, we, we believe that too in Christianity, that perfection belongs to God. So they had no problem accommodating us in that way. Now, you also took the anti-Semitism, both on the right and the left, in your speech. You came out very, very strong because we're seeing the renewed hatred of Jews is not limited to any particular group, but it cuts across denominations and the, and the political spectrum. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I went on to very one specific focus. You're right. I spoke about both right and left. With regards to the right, you know, they say that we are, you know, allies of people of color and that we're allies of immigrants and that we were active in the civil rights movement. Look, the extent to which the right portrays us as puppet masters is obviously wrong, but the fact that we, you know, have been allies of people that have been oppressed in this country is a truth. The left gets it completely wrong, though. And, you know, and, and, and these, are the, these are often the people that we've, we've been so allied with, you know, it feels like a betrayal because they come and say we're colonizers, we're not indigenous, all of these, you know, outright lies. They use very loaded words like genocide. Can you imagine that, that they're accusing us of genocide in Israel when, you know, the Palestinian population has grown unbelievably over the last few decades? It just makes no sense. And, uh, you know, I, I spoke about that quite a bit. And the church, you know, that there's no one big church in the United States of America, but there certainly are left-leaning churches that are guilty uh, of having presented a very one-sided view of Israel. 
And some of them have come out very strongly against Israel, some of the actual churches itself, and been solidarity with the Palestinians and some of the their terrorists and been very anti-Israel. So it's uh, some. And, and by the way, the thing that we have to be worried about is the fundamentalist Christians have been strong allies of Israel. But from what I've been told from good authority within the movement is that the next generation of Palestinian of of leadership in the fundamentalist community are pro-Palestinian. Yeah, that I don't know. I haven't seen any. I, I've heard of that. that I've, I've, I've spoken yeah. to leadership, and I've heard this verified by others. It's starting to happen already that the next generation is not as committed to Israel as the previous generation. Well, then we have to make sure that we're grateful to the generation that is, so that the uh, you know, so that they understand and can pass that on to their children. That when we have friends, we're grateful for them. I think, you know, I'll just give you one example though. You know, the left-leaning church, and I call them out in the speech. You know, the United uh, Church of Christ Synod gathered together uh, in, in June, July, like shortly after the bombing in May. And they sat there and they condemned Israel so harshly and they didn't even mention Hamas. That's how one-sided it is. It is. The hatred is there. It's they just see one thing and that's really, really it. Unfortunately so. And it's hard to convince them otherwise because they have to know deep down that they're, who they're dealing with. But they're so blinded in their hatred that they just focus on that one thing and they ignore the terror and they ignore the anti it's really it's not just anti-semitic it's also anti-christian because if you look what's happening in the in the muslim world where fundamentalism is taking hold it's not it's anti-west it's anti-jewish it's anti-christian look how many christians have left the middle east yeah but worst of all that it's anti-truth Right. It's the anti-truth. They they just manufacture and believe what they want to believe, unfortunately. I was just just getting back to the Washington National Cathedral for a moment. When somebody walks in and they see your the, your father's statue, what does it say there? What is what? Give us a scenario what one reads when one goes there. You know, I don't know that there's a plaque yet or I haven't seen wording, but, you know, there's a lot of um, they have pamphlets. I think they have brochures. Um, you know, it's, it's mentioned, it describes the iconography in the church. And I haven't seen the exact wording, but, you know, I would expect that it describes my father as a universal fighter for universal truths. Um, you know, most of the dialogue that happened that evening and most of the discussion really refers to my father as a, you know, fighter for social justice for all peoples. And I think that's really what motivated the, the cathedral, and that's how they're representing him. And that's why I felt it was so important that we had to also have the Jewish and Zionist perspective. But how did it end up coming about? Because uh, it's something which is unusual for a church to have a statue of somebody, even though he's a freedom fighter and he stood for all the right moral values. But how did it come about that they decided to honor him at this point in history with a statue? Listen, the, the dean, as I mentioned, Randy Hollerith, is a very thoughtful guy. You know, He studied moral theology. He went to divinity school. And he is also a very avid and deep reader. And he had real conviction. He said in his mind there was no question that this was the right person, you know, to, um, to, to honor in this way. And he did. Very interesting. So we appreciate your being here with us, giving us some insight into what transpired and uh, the fact that the natural, the National Cathedral Church in Washington has honored your father by doing the statue. Was there any particular ceremony where they carved the last minute something, or how does it work? No, the, the carving was done, but when we got there, there was an unveiling, and it was sweet. It was a, you know, it was a mixed ceremony. You know, nobody mentioned God's name. They, uh, they didn't mention Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, we, we sang the Nigun from Yedid Nefesh. They had some readings from the Old Testament. 
um, you know, Yeshayahu, I think what we read on, uh, on Yom Kippur about, you know, what is the appropriate kind of fast for us to have, they were very profound, thoughtful readings, and they did everything extremely tasteful. Alicia Wiesel, son of the legendary Ellie and Marion Wiesel, thank you for being here with us. We look forward to having a more extended conversation. I enjoy, by the way, spending time with you on Simplest Torah on the west side of Manhattan. Zev, it's always good to dive in with you and to be with you. Thank you for your friendship. And thank you. And we're going to be right back. Don't go away. Stay tuned. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talkline Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline Network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. Thanks for listening. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the talklinenetwork.com. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.